first chapter, verses 1 through 7. Timothy 1, 1 through 7. This links to Oren's message, so I do want to read this and uh, appreciate the opportunity to do so. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Well, good morning. As, as I begin, I would like to introduce to you a new family that's been visiting with us for a few weeks, and they've desired to be identified as members of this congregation. And they're going to place their membership with us to work and worship here. It's Jeff and Sandy King and their son, Tyler. Uh, we published that in the bulletin this week, but Tyler wasn't in the list. So I'd like to ask him to stand, if you would, so everybody can see where you're seated and who you are, and we'll gather around you and meet you as soon as worship is over. Thank you. Uh, we look forward to our worship together and our working together and our fellowship together. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And the Pharisees and some others took issue with that, and they said, How can this man say that he's the bread for, that came down from heaven? Is this not the carpenter's son? Don't we know who this guy is? And so he said, It is written, They shall all be taught of God. And he went on to explain that everyone who is taught of God and learns of Him from the Father would come to Jesus, come to Him. And so he emphasizes there that God's plan throughout history has been that Christianity, the true religion of God, is a taught religion. It is experienced. It is to a large degree felt. But it's not based on emotions and emotionalism, but emotions are involved. The cheerful heart, the glad heart, the understanding heart, the honest and good heart. So Christianity is a religion that is taught. As far back as Deuteronomy 31.12, about 14.10 B.C. roughly, we see God's plan unfolding as He tells Moses and the people as they're getting the law of God. And, and it was a law that was complete, not just the Ten Commandments, but the complete law regarding the nation and, and health laws and civil laws and all these things because God was their king. It was a theocracy, best king you could possibly want, best laws that people needed. So God says, I want you to gather the people well, what people are you talking about? I want you to gather the men and the children and even the visitors. If you've got company coming, you've got the sojourner that's within your gate, you've got travelers, if they're there, bring them in. Men, women, children, everybody, because they need to hear this. They need to hear. Well, what is it they need to hear? And he goes on to say that they may learn to fear the Lord thy God. And if they do that, they'll be careful of all the things written in the law. So look at the setup here. God says, I want everybody to, to, to hold still and listen. And if you listen, you'll learn about God. And if you learn about God, you'll learn to fear Him. That's not just being afraid. It's awesome respect for God and to reverence Him and His name and His will. And when you do that, then you'll be careful to do all the things written in the law. So it was God's intent that people be taught this religion and these truths. You go to Isaiah 54:13. The storyline is picked up again about learning about God and being taught from Him and about Him. 
In uh, John 6.35 that we noted in A.D. 33, Jesus takes up the charge again and he charges his disciples later on to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. The apostles took up the charge as God told them to or as Jesus told them to. You go back and you can read some really rich history in what's called the modern Sunday school movement back in England and Scotland and places. Uh, Robert Rakes and others who got the idea of watching white slavery in the factories in these these sweat houses or whatever you call them. The, the children were mistreated, treated like slaves, working hard, long hours. But between shifts, their parents would be at the factory sometimes. Kids would be in the street and in the alleys. So Robert Rakes and others got the idea, let's get some godly women together and gather these kids and get them off the street and teach them. We could teach them the Bible. And so they started with that concept, getting this organized movement together. And that's a whole another story that take an hour to tell, but I'll skip over that. But from the restoration movement till today, that charge has been taken up to, to get the job done. I want to illustrate something here with a chicken house, a chicken coop that I built over the summer for, for a lady who lives about three houses down. Somebody gave her two chickens. She didn't have any place to keep them, so she kept them in a little dog kennel, a little small one. And up against that dog kennel, she put some old wooden pallets, you know, loading pallets, freight pallets. She put those over that to keep animals out and predators. She has a neighbor's cat that likes to come over, and she has a bunch of cats up there, and, and there's all kinds of critters, possums and raccoons and everything. So anyway, she was doing that, and she needed a chicken coop. So I said, well, I got some scraps that I got from Dal Dixon and Ann Dixon's neighbor, hauled a truckload of old wood, uh, cedar wood fencing and posts and hinges and all that, so I had some material. And I built it. She needed a place for them to play in the yard so where nothing can get them. So I fixed this thing, and it is nice. It's not just a chicken coop. It's a coop And right here, this little door slides open. You can see it broken down there. Those are two pieces of pipe that came out of our remodel project over here. Those are over 30 years old, conduit. And you slide that thing closed and close the chickens in. It's got massive hinges over here that could hold a six-foot gate. And it's got, hen it's got door pull drawer pulls right there where you clean out the tray. Those came out of the Ashbury's uh, remodel on 1700 West 44th Street 25 years ago. I like Jesus' statement, gather up every morsel that none be lost. Repurpose these things, restore, don't just throw it away. So I built this thing, and it's reinforced. If you can tell, that right there has chicken wire all in it. And this is before it's finished. On the top, there's chicken wire to completely close it in. And that chunk of tin came from Ken and uh, Mary Daniel's scrap pile. And so you have reinforced chicken wire with 2 by 4 metal fencing. It's not hog wire, and it's not cattle wire, but it's, it's the down a grade. It's just fence. Tough. And I thought, nothing can get in there. So I took it to her, put it all together, put the top on it. But on the door right there, on that little access I didn't put the chicken wire. I gave her some of it on a roll. I said, you put the chicken wire on there. And so gave it to her, closed it in. There's red-tailed hawks flying around, and we know what's happening. So I asked her a couple of, two days later, I said, how are the chickens doing? She said, something rooster. And I said, you mean something got in and got one of those chickens and pulled it out through the fence? And I thought, what? And that's two inches by four inches in that opening, roughly. So a chicken got pulled through that and devoured. So that's what I call pulled chicken. And when I, every time I see that on the menu, I think something else likes pulled chicken too because it fit that thing. It, it, it was well-dressed when it was pulled through that thing. So you see there's an issue there with, and, and I thought too, the next, time, the next time I counsel a chicken like this, and that's real too, that's not photoshopped. One day I was in here at the office and knock on the door and open the door and there's Brandy Holly standing there with a chicken under her arm, a big fat chicken, that one. If it's their pet, it was, something got it too. Well, 
I'd ask how, what mood it's in. I'll say, don't sleep next to a hole in the fence. Something will get you. So it's a serious something getting us. In fact, uh, in about two years, three years, we've lost five families due to adultery, abandonment, and then divorce. And that hurts everybody in their extended family and in the family of God on the earth, the church. And so did that happen because someone their door and say, you need to remember not to commit adultery? You need to remember not to abandon your wife or your husband or whatever the deal is? Did they just not know? Had they never been taught? But there are issues there with the idea that Satan is like a roaring walk seeking whom. And as much as we concern ourselves with false doctrine and things that go wrong within the church, there's also that reach in and pull us out, skin us alive nearly, and just pull us out. In fact, after that happened, I thought about that. The next night on the news, there was this reflection on the radar return. No rain anywhere in the state, but there's all this clutter. And Ed Buckner said, that's ground, that's ground return right there. And I said, it's chicken feathers from three houses down is what that is. But that's kind of what it feels like when you have like 59 people die from this congregation in the last nine years. You can count it up. They've got names, addresses. So we have an issue here with protecting ourselves. And if you think about the kids, just starting with our kids that we love so much, our own kids and our own family or here in the church, from the time that the law was given and before, you had influences like people like Pharaoh and others that would slaughter all the children that might outnumber them, the slaves and whatever, the children of the slaves. Or people's influence like Hitler or today ISIS and other things. All these are influences that surround our children. Um, some of them are not so good. Or you might look at it this way in today's world. There's the peer pressure or the experiences in their life, things that happen at school, the nurture or don't receive the media that influences them with a constant barrage of messages of worldview and belief systems and you can just imagine the pressures now we have a, a low level of influence in some ways just by the number of hours in a week and i'll talk about that in just a minute but you can also look at the positive things around suppose we surrounded our church family with bible classes their parents and their mentors uh, worship services, their peers, good friends that are good influences. And this sort of surrounds our children to sort of build a fence around them, a good fence or a hedge. So let's just put it together like a fence and seal them in somehow, just keep them embraced with this kind of good influence. And so then Satan comes up. He's trying to find a way to get in. He can't even reach in and, and, and pull us through because we're connected, because we're responsible, we are accountable, we are a family, and we are jointed together influences, whatever it might be, that come at us, we can be stronger together, united, and with a purpose to serve God. Now, let's take out peers and friends and see if there's a hole there that something could get in. Let's say the child that's a loner, that maybe he's comfortable in his own skin, but you see sometimes a, a sort of a signal that something's not right when a child has no friends, doesn't ever talk to anybody at school. You know, sometimes kids crave attention, so they even take it negative attention that you have a, a kid that's left out of the group and so he'll go with a group that will give him some dope or something or let him be a part of the gang. Or he'll act out in class and you won't pay attention to me. I'll make so much racket you'll have to pay attention to me. Even if you, if you put me in the corner, time out. I'll do it because I, I need something here. So if you take out something like peers and friends, you may be opening the door for some kind of trouble or something to get you possibly. Or we could pay, maybe put those back in place and these poor children that, are, that have a special challenge in their life that they're growing up without their dad or without their mom or without both of them. 
great challenges there for someone to stand in the gap and raise up those children. Or if, let's say we took out Bible classes and there's an opening, that there's no connection there. And even though that's a small part, and you think about how small a part it is, it takes us a year to get 52 hours of Bible class. And that's not even a whole hour, so it takes longer than that. You add in Wednesday night, it takes a year to get 104 hours, which is still not 104 hours. And in one week, there's 168 hours we live. So you got school most of the day, you got work, you got sleep about eight hours or whatever, and, and, and the church gets just a minutia of that um, in Bible class. But if you take that out and are not even a part of that, there's an opening possibly for Satan to come in there. So you put yourself in the place of our kids because adults need the same thing. Everybody likes to be liked, loved. That's the whole design of human existence. And when God said not good that man should be alone, he understood that man needs someone to love and someone to love him back. There's a reciprocation there. And that's the way God is. And he teaches us, I love you. Don't you love me back? And that's Adam and Eve with. I love you. Is there something for me in this? And he's a jealous God. And so Bible classes become very important. God says, as we saw, they shall all be taught of God, Jesus said in John 6 and verse 45. The goal of our instruction, and I'll talk more about this in just a minute, in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5, there's a goal for this. There's a reason behind these commandments. Paul said there's a reason we teach and keep on preaching because we're looking for this love from a, a sincere heart, a good heart and a sincere faith. And then James says this is a big deal. It's important because... Teachers are given a, a special charge to handle God properly and to handle it seriously and to handle it faithfully, and they'll receive the greater condemnation, meaning they're under scrutiny of the, of the God of heaven to, to keep his word pure and not turn aside after fables. And then in Hebrews 5, there's an indication that some people had not progressed along their Christian faith growth process the way they should because at a time when they should be teaching others, they have people need that people should teach them again, even the basic things. There's a bumper sticker I like that says, if you can read this, thank a teacher. And I saw one that's put under that one time that says, if you can read it in English, thank a soldier. And I think this is a good time to be thinking about that. And, you know, we've come close. If you look at history, world history, we've come close to a few things. If Hitler hadn't done wrong, we might be speaking German. I don't really think so, but you wonder about that. It's a great thing. Someone else, and I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but said, no soldier's pack will ever be as heavy as a prisoner's chains. So we owe a lot to those who gave it all and who are serving right now to protect our country. The church is set up like that as the army of the living God, as the kingdom of Christ, the spiritual kingdom. We're built together a spiritual house, and so we have a job to do. And we try to be relevant. I like this. This is so... This is so Themes. Why study the book of Numbers? It's 36 chapters of self-centered people who whined every time they didn't get their way. Give us something relevant. So it just sort of sinks in a little bit. So what is relevant? How do we figure that out? And so we're, we're challenged. This is the goal of our instruction, to produce love from a pure heart and a sincere faith. Jesus taught as one with authority because he came from heaven. He said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And his charge to his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples and teach them, baptize them, and keep on teaching them. And then the apostles kept that charge. They went on, and when the magistrates said, shut up, they said, we're not shutting up. We're going to keep talking. We'll throw you in prison. In prison. We'll torture you to death, and we'll die gladly because we're not giving up. And so they kept the charge. And then elders and 
Sunday's church are challenged with this qualification. One of the qualifications is to be able to teach. And so shepherds then keep that charge, feeding the church of God, feeding it the truth, teaching it themselves and seeing that it gets taught. So the flock then, the church, must reciprocate. Gather the men, the women, and the children that hear and learn to fear and be careful to do all the things that are in the law. So they must assemble and be fed. And we've seen these scriptures. Ephesians 5 refers to some of the things Elwood mentioned in the, the communion service. And that is, we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts, and we're challenging each other. We need more, which we probably can't have, but wouldn't it be awesome to be like the first century church that we read about in the second century from secular writers who say, observing from a distance as though it was a newspaper report, that these Christians get together in their pre-dawn assemblies before work. And they sort of, I'm paraphrasing, sort of made a pact together to remind each other we're Christians and we're not going to fornicate today or this week. We're going to live for God. And that sort of thing is that camaraderie, that, that shoulder to shoulder, we're in this together. So 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction overall is love from a, a good conscience and a sincere faith. Where I'm going with this is the quarter, this quarter is about to end. We start new class in December. And so what we're looking for is to enrich and enhance and just get better and, and, and make everybody's experience in Bible class par excellence. Some, and we've had some leadership in the past that have taken care of putting the Bible classes together, recruiting teachers, uh, scheduling teachers and, and subjects. Elwood Whitfield did it for like 15 years or something like that, a great job. Steve Mosley did it three or four years. And then uh, Tommy Kidd did it two or three or four years. And there's been a whole of great men who have done this for us. And so one of our deacons now is taking care of the classes, uh, organizing this. Uh, Jonathan works with the youth, and uh, we're going to talk about some of the things we're looking for this next go-around. So this applies to Sunday morning adult classes, not Wednesday night and not the children's classes. Um, the idea here is we're going to have everyone in three groups, and it's just simply a matter of mathematics balancing and starting this thing where we can be together in class. And the whole congregation at this point, people who attend or who don't attend, Sunday morning Bible class. It'll all work with just three three classes. What we got scheduled now. So <clears throat> the students. The idea is, and we've done this before, where the teacher will rotate around. They'll teach a subject. Like let's say you're teaching uh, Romans or something, and so you teach your Romans class to this group, to this class, and then at the end of that session, you go to another class and teach your same stuff to them. And so they, uh, that class gets a new teacher and a new subject. But the teacher keeps getting better and better doing the same class over is the idea. So that helps the teachers. It helps the, everyone to just try this system. And the students then stay with the class. And the teachers rotate every six weeks, not 13 in this setup here, every six weeks to each of the other classes. We're going to involve, we plan to involve a, what we would call a class coordinator. This would be someone who works with the class, with the teacher, so that it relieves the teacher from thinking about checking the row uh, asking who's sick or who's not here today and why and who's in the hospital. So this class secretary or class coordinator can check on that, get the information, and the teacher then focuses on the lesson and on teaching. And then we just get better, just like the care groups. We get to know each other and we know who's in class and who's absent, and we encourage one another that way. This provides a place for everybody, makes for variety. It produces community. 
uh, it's orderly and with a design behind it as we are the family of God. So this is the idea. It's a win-win. It's nobody's losing anything. We're not take, trying to take anything from anyone. It's just a matter of let's set this thing in order, make a well-oiled machine, and go for it. And, you know, it just, just the nature of the way things work, with no fault toward anyone, no harm intended, you can attend this congregation, park over there, come in, and sit on, right over here, like on anywhere on this side, and um, go to the potluck afterwards, and go over there and get in line, get your plate, sit down at the table with some folks, and leave, and never have even seen or spoken to someone who drove in over here and parked on this side and sat on this side and went over and got in line behind you ten people and sat at a different table. And nobody's being ugly. It's just we're all over the place. And so this way with the classes at least, it'll help in the shepherding process to say almost immediately when you've got a class of there together every week in the same room, you'll know who's not there and, and encourage each other to be there and all that. So I'm talking fast so I can get through because Jonathan's going to say a few words and Eric, but Eric first. Um, what we're going to do, and this, there again, this is, this is not a popularity contest and it's not a, anything like that. So we're not putting class teachers or subjects yet. We just want everybody to say, I'm willing to help out with this by going to class every Sunday. Try my best to be in class. So I'll just pick class one, class two, or class three. And then I'll get a surprise after that. They'll say it's the activity center room one or it's the auditorium or it's the old fellowship room. But we'll put a teacher and a coordinator with that class number. Now, one thing you do have to look forward to is when you start signing up, you'll see your friend signed up in class three and you're in class two. You can switch over. Then after two weeks in class, and we're going to write this all down and explain it like 12 times before the next two weeks are over so everybody's got it. Uh, after you've been in class a couple of weeks, that'll give you some time to drop a class, we might say. You're in class and you're like, ooh, this is not what I thought or this is not what I, I can't do this. Then switch classes. But after two weeks or maybe three, uh, we'd like for you to stay in the class. You finally settle in one of them and stay there. And then everybody can keep up with everybody and what's going on. That's all this is about. So now, let's see. It says, yeah, stay in that class. And it says end. I'm right on. Okay, so Eric, would you uh, talk 35 seconds or five minutes, whatever you need, and come on up? <clears throat> Good morning. Um, so ideally, there were a lot of things that sort of drove this idea uh, of trying out a, a different class setting, and I just want to talk to about a couple of those points real quickly. Um, in part, one of the things that we discussed in advance of this was the idea of, uh, of our teachers, um, and how, does, how would this different class model possibly benefit our teachers. Um, for me, I'm a teacher by profession. I mean, I, I teach chemistry, and I can talk about chemistry at the drop of a hat and tell you anything you need to know. But the truth is, when it's time to talk about Bible, I need to be a little bit more thoughtful in that. And the truth is, even if I come to teach a Bible class, I need to be as prepared to learn as I am to teach. And the hope is that when we give our teachers a chance to teach and teach the same material again, then perhaps we can see... Um, growth even in our own classes. I, I expect and hope that I will get the chance in teaching one of these rotation classes to grow and to improve as I move from the first time around to the second to the third. So that's one thing that we hope to accomplish from this. Another thing that we would like to see um, is just the idea that everybody gets the same 
classes. I, I, know, I know that in part, a variety of, of different topics where you have the choice of I want to be in this class or I want to be in this class is a good thing, but as Oren said, we're not choosing based on topic, we're based on teacher today. Right? The choice is, uh, is, is, is really just intended for us to be in you know, even groups. And from there, everybody will hear the same lessons because they will rotate. So if I'm teaching in here for six weeks, then I would move to the old fellowship room and teach the same class, same exact material, plus improvements, of course, right, to another group over there. And so we all get the chance to hear and to learn the same things. And, and hopefully, maybe even, that can spur some conversations outside of the classroom setting. Um, what, did you, what did you guys talk about the last six weeks? Oh, I'm, we're doing that one now. What did, you, what did you think about this lesson or that lesson? And, and, and really, it's just the idea that maybe we have the chance to promote fellowship, even in, even in that context, in a way that we haven't always done before. Because whatever the possible advantages to teachers and to students might be, this really is not supposed to be about just the class itself, right? Again, it's not about the topic, it's not about the teacher, because we will all hear the same topics, we will all experience the same teachers. This is about the opportunity for us to be together and for us to learn together. And hopefully that's an opportunity that we can take. No changes can really ever be successful if we don't have buy-in from those of you who are involved. And in this case, this is all of us. And really what I want this to be about, what I, I think we all want everything we do here to be about, is about each other. It's about our community. It's about how can we encourage each other? How can we learn from one another? Um, and that really, that really is the goal. So I won't say any more about that aspect because Jonathan has some things to share with you on that regard as well. So when we were... When we were thinking about this, we really came up with three main goals. The first one was accountability, which was uh, what, what Orrin kind of talked about, class coordinators, you know, uh, our elders really trying to pay more attention to people being in class and coming to church and just all this kind of thing. And uh, The second one was it would really help our teachers out, which that's a lot of what Eric talked about. And then the third one is really everyone's job, and that's the community we create within our classes. Uh, but before I get there, before I talk about that, um, some bit on my heart a long time that I'd committed to that first time I'd come up here to speak, do something other than lead singing, I'd say it. And what I wanted to say was thank you, um, because I'm someone that was raised in this church. Um, you know, I just, I just know that it's such a huge blessing for me to be able to work with teens, to be able to work with kids, uh, and to give back to what was given to me in such a huge way, and that's just awesome. Um. I remember as a kid, um, well, you, well, before I get there, uh, you know, it, but it wasn't the sermons. Sorry, Warren. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't my Bible lessons. It wasn't LTC. It wasn't any of the huge programs we have that convinced me to become a disciple. Uh, it was you discipling me. Um, I remember being over here as a kid, and uh, Mr. Frank would always come over and talk to us. You know, I remember that. I remember Mr. Tom. He'd always make a point to speak to us, even though I'm sure, as kids, like most of us do, we probably weren't nice or respond well. Or, but he still made a point to come shake our hand, make us feel important. I remember Mr. Tommy and Miss Karen always having us over to their house. I remember uh, Miss Wilma always giving me a hug. I remember Mr. Chester, just how he led singing. His, you know, I remember Mr. Esh. He'd always look at me. He'd sit over there right about where the Julies are. 
Uh, and he'd look over at me and he'd do this thing right here, tell me to cut my hair. You know, I remember him doing that all the time. Um, I remember Warren, you know, he had this toy in his office called Super Banana. That was just this little banana that had a cape and it was the weird, I don't know, what. Are you, I don't, do you still have it in there? He still has it in there. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go ask him. But he'd just be like, guys, come check this out. It's so cool. And he'd show it to us and we were just like, I don't know what's cool about it, but it's cool that you are showing us, you know. Uh, I just remember these things, and that's what made the difference for me. You know, that's, that's what really discipled me, was coming to a church where, as I studied with people and went through these great education programs and got knowledge of the Bible, I also saw people who didn't just study it, they lived it. You know, they acted it out. Um, and I know I'm saying a bunch of stuff, so what do you want from me? Um, what I want... And what our goal is for this community part of class is to, for as people go, they go with the intent to learn. But even more importantly, as with everything we do, we honor God by looking at the person next to us and behind us and sitting in front of us, and we pay attention to those people. You know, we remember prayer requests and we pray for them throughout the week. Uh, we talk about our struggles. We share when a subject comes up and it's something that we have an issue with. We talk to other people so that they... Number one, realize I'm not the only one that struggles with that. But number two, maybe they get some guidance of how to go through it. Uh, we try to mentor each other, disciple each other. Um, I can't say what each individual person's role will be in whatever class they get in. But I can say if you're purposeful about it, you could, you could make a real difference and cause community within that class. Um, the struggles I want to talk about is I know it's change. Change is always difficult uh, because some of us are real used to, I go to a class in a certain room, no matter what's going on in there, that's the room I'm in. Or I go to a class based on who's teaching. I really like this teacher and I just follow them all the time. Or maybe you go to class based on this is my age group. I like to be with these people because they're just similar to me. And all of that will change through this. You know, we're mixing age groups. We might be in a different room. We'll have different teachers we're not used to. You know, and we have the opportunity to get frustrated or annoyed or upset about those things, but we also have the opportunity uh, to look beside us and next to us and around us and make an eternal difference. And that's really what I hope that everyone's attitude can be going into this. I'd like to have a prayer before I complete uh, the lesson with the, the invitation. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we thank you so much for the honor of, of being your children and your family on the earth and for having been taught the truth by those who loved us and cared for us and showed us the way. We thank you that your word is alive and, and lives within us and becomes a fountain of life springing up within us. Help us to want to learn more and to be able to share the word and to live the word in our lives that the word may become flesh and that we struggle together for the faith of the gospel. And then we grow as a congregation and grow individually and become stronger in the faith. And we pray that we'll all be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a, 